0: We can officially begin. You have the hazelnut coffee in your hand. <sighs> Every time now, it's like a thing, and you don't even—I don't see you drink coffee. You're, Decaf. Not caff, you're not a caffeinated beverage guy. Decaf
1: coffee, uh, health issues. Health you're supposed to t- stay away from caffeine. So,
0: even low low doses of caffeine could be okay, right?
1: I think it can be, but I think I stay away from you know. soda, as far as I'm aware. Even though it says no caffeine, I believe there's still some in there, minute, so I go with the
0: unleaded as opposed to leaded. Unleaded? I hope you don't drink anything with lead in it. (laughs) Otherwise, it would explain an awful lot. I save over there. (laughs) You almost just dumped that coffee on yourself. Good (laughs) hands. Oh, my. Thanksgiving's coming up. Overrated Thanksgiving foods seems to be a topic. I saw a thing on social media. What is your bad food opinion? So I want your bad food opinion, Jim. What is your really unpopular opinion on Thanksgiving food?
1: You've thrown a curveball at me. You like change up. I have never, ever considered bad. (sighs) Ever. It's got to be one. Ah. I would have to go to food that does not fit the Thanksgiving category. So, what is it? Oh, there's a bunch of stuff out there. Like, uh...
0: you want to know mine first? Go ahead. Pumpkin pie. It's just overrated. It's okay. It's just, eh. it's like cheesecake that doesn't have enough filling. I don't know. That's my bad food opinion. If you weren't eight feet
1: away from me, I'd have hit you already. What? That is. It's your favorite? Well, for Thanksgiving, pecan pie. Or as we say here, pecan pie. I mean, pumpkin pie. Just,
0: that's why I said it's a bad opinion. It's an unpopular with, opinion. I have many unpopular opinions.
1: With whipped cream on top. And then you mush <laughs> it in together, uh-huh. and you make it all mushy. But you have to make sure – I do not like a – I like a moist crust for my pumpkin pie. I don't like a flaky crust. I like it to be really – it's like almost like a gel on the crust part. When the pumpkin and all the juices have sunk down into the crust and almost solidified it, that's the way I like it. I don't like breaking it away and all flaky and stuff like that, so – can't agree. Every single thing. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> it's like you and ice cream. You got to be mushed all together. Stuffing and,
1: uh. the next day with ketchup. Whoa, no, oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, it shit, is... you ruined it. No, no, no. The next day, you it's good because it. it's, a li- it's not gooey enough for me on when you just, it's so fresh. It's, it's... Next day, microwave, ketchup.
0: I'm going to change your world. I'm going to make you at some point stuffing pie. Stuffing pie. Just just brace yourself for that. Sounds good to me. Anyway, we actually will talk a little bit about hockey this week. I just wanted to get those two things out of the way. We've actually got a lot to get to on the podcast, so why don't we just get right into what the people actually want to hear. All right, welcome into episode number five. Fox and Faust, the podcast. Today, spitting, cross-checking, hazing, and, well, what Mike Babcock and uh, Mitch Marner uh, had a couple years ago. Uh, Why why don't we start uh, with this thing last week that we touched on a little bit, Jim. We didn't have a lot of um, context at the time, this whole spitting incident, which is actually still relevant, still a week later. Partly because, and I'll look at it here, we've had a couple suspensions since then that have put that suspension of three games in context. Um, Of course, you go back, it's this incident with Washington last week, uh, three-game suspension given out for this incident. And then a couple days later, we get, What we see in Nashville, where Victor Arvidson is cross-checked into the crossbar of his goal, and that's given four games. I look at this and say, for the NHL, we are creating, fairly or not, an equivalency when we attach a number of games to an infraction. The Department of Player Safety did not handle the spinning penalty. That was handled by essentially the commissioner's office, Colin Campbell and hockey operations, if I'm correct. Three games versus injuring a guy four to six weeks, four games. I don't know about you. I don't like what it necessarily says about our priorities in the game. And I think they're a little bit lopsided if we think that spitting is that much of a problem that we need to give a suspension similar to a guy getting slammed in the face and out four to six weeks.
1: I think at the time it happened, we brought up exactly what we're talking about right now. If I'm not mistaken, I felt it would not be handled by player safety. Yeah. And it would go to a different category, which to me, I have no problem with the three versus four, because I think they have set up completely separate categories. So that's why, as we discussed a week ago, the potential, the realistic potential for serious injury is so much greater for a crosscheck than it is for spitting. But if I can go back to my early days in uh, Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball. The best interests of baseball clause. So the best interest of hockey clause. I think that is where this falls. I have no problem with it. I think that professional athletes understand the responsibility that they have, which is compensated fairly, but you also have a social responsibility that may be mimicked by young kids who are watching you. And if we can put a stop to it right now, I believe that's what the NHL was trying to do in that instance. Again, if you just say three and four together, I understand. But I categorize them differently. And I think that categorization was proven in that a different department looked at each issue.
0: You might categorize them differently. The challenge is explaining that to the public. Because public at large, fans I, at large are going to say I just four did. games versus three. I just did. Is it a decorum versus code issue? So there's a code in hockey, right? I think
1: it's a non-sports. It applies in every walk of life. It's something you don't do at any time. Now, you don't cross-check a person in the street because you're not carrying a stick at the time. Sure, true, true. So there's a whole... The, the venue uh, doesn't apply. It applies across the board with a disrespectful notion, movement, contact, and that disrespect is shown through spitting, and I think it has to be addressed, and it was.
0: What about Alexander Kerfoot? Johnson arrives at the puck first and attempts to corral it, with Kerfoot behind him. As Johnson reaches the puck, Kerfoot delivers a shove to his back, causing a violent crash directly into the boards. Boarding a guy, potentially really serious injury. I would say it goes to the place of disrespect for an opponent. He only gets two games for what I think is a really egregious boarding penalty. Granted, didn't have a prior history like Bortuzzo with St. Louis and the cross-checking penalty. But again, I I, I find it hard, having not played, I find it hard to separate these when it costs the team the same thing. A game is a game, right? A game is you're not getting paid for that game, you're sitting out of the lineup. It's It's the same thing. I find it hard to square away how boarding somebody and forcing them head first at high speed. We saw how scary that could be a couple days ago with Lawson Krause and yes. the awkward collision with the boards. Wow. I find it hard to square that away with we need to make this game safe. We need to make this game respectful.
1: It, it's hard for me to see that. The contacts, which involve the violent natures, the cross-checks that go into the boards is a situation involving player on player spitting is player on the game player on another human being it takes you outside of the context of that singular game and that's where i think they have a little bit more
0: well that's that's my issue with bortuzzo is that that's outside the context of the game this was beyond the oh i'm just you know in hand fighting mode He actively had the intent to injure from in tight.
1: With the puck on the far side of the net, Bortuzzo cross-checks Arvidsson in the back, knocking him to the ice and drawing a penalty.
0: Bortuzzo looks to the official, then turns back towards Arvidsson, who is still on the ice, puts his hand back on his stick, and delivers a sharp, forceful cross-check
1: to Arvidsson's back, causing an injury. Bortuzzo was correctly assessed a minor penalty for the original cross-check on Arvidsson. Bortuzzo's second cross-check, however, is not a hockey play.
0: And maybe I need to reframe my argument that it's not just a four games versus three. It's the fact that it's only four.
1: You don't have to reframe, uh, reframe your argument with me. I agree. I think it should be more than four in that instance. The first contact, now, I'm, I haven't talked to Robert about it, Bortuzzo. I haven't read any comments about this, but I would bet, I would venture a guess that he was frustrated because I believe Arvidson embellished the first contact. Okay, So he That's was fair. pushed and he was shoved from behind, but in a, in a battle situation that happens quite a bit, and then I saw the flailing arms and now... Oh, Mr. Arvidsson, I mean, I was his type of player. I was a little guy, and you're buzzing around, and you're trying to get things happen. But the premeditated nature of the second content leads exactly to what you said, intent to injure. Now, the rule book addresses that. Then you go to supplemental discipline. Looking back on his previous disciplines, if I'm not mistaken, I went back and, you know, They were similar. They were Mm cross-checks. And that's why, to me, repeated offense, excuse me, repeated offender, repeating the same offense with an injury being caused, I think, four surprised me. It really did. Uh, I just want to go over again the process for people that may not be familiar with it. And that is this. Player safety first looks at whether the action is deemed to be serious enough to add supplemental discipline. could be in the form of a fine or in the form of suspended games. That is determined first. Then, and only then, you take into account previous history and injury. It's not the other way around, because there are some actions that are taken on the ice that involve serious injury, but the potential for serious injury was very low. So you, you kind of gauge it that way. So then I'm back to the original argument. Four games surprised me. It really did. I, I think the thing that bothers me the most is that it appeared to be the exact same type of action. So he's not learning. The previous suspensions did not prevent him from doing it again or did not prevent him for, from keeping control in his own mind to say that if I do this again, I'm gone for a long time.
0: Back to the comparison on suspensions here. If we believe that three games for spitting is a serious deterrent for disrespecting the game, disrespecting another human being, then we cannot be okay with four games for this incident, even though, as you say, they are apples to oranges, right? This is a player safety issue versus a decorum and respect issue. There are degrees.
1: I've already stated I felt there should be more than four. Yep, I'd go as high as eight. I'd go further. That would be fine what i'm saying is this there are degrees not every action is the same intent injure cross check yes to the small of the back okay potential for spinal fracture it's there i think it's relatively low take that same cross check and put it in the back of the neck now i think you're increasing the potential for serious injury take it further the back of the head then it goes up even more so even the same force using the same motion, delivered at a different part of the body, to me, changes the scenario of how you base your suspension. Of course. He crunched them, though, in an area where everyone understands is not as protected as other areas.
0: This gets me to kind of a question I've been kicking around in my head, a thought experiment, if you will. Would the NHL be worse off without violent, unnecessary, Checks like that Four games does not legislate it out of the game. We've legislated fighting out of junior hockey almost entirely. There is no fighting in college hockey. The rules state if you get into a fight, you're suspended. It's automatic. We've done that through rules changes, through emphasis with the Department of Player Safety. That's partly why the Department of Player Safety was created in the first place, is to try to legislate certain things out of the game, change behavior of players. I look at football and see that participation in youth football is down double-digit percentages. doesn't matter the state. It's down across the board. If fighting used to be, quote-unquote, part of the game, but is now legislated out at the lower levels, and players come in without having had that background, we don't see a lot of fighting in the NHL, right? It's just learned behavior. Baseball essentially banned collisions at home plate due to concussions. Are we less inclined to watch baseball because of that? Make illegal checks to the head 10 games automatic. Make any head contact or dangerous, unnecessary head contact punitive to the point where you really have to think twice because you're hurting your team well beyond just four games. I'm okay with the NHL and hockey operations if we feel that spitting is so disrespectful of the game to say three games, that's fine by me. But we then have to be just as heavy-handed when it comes to the safety of players. Boarding, dangerous boarding penalties, should be out of the game. This type of situation, with a cross-check in close, the guy that's going to hit his head on a goalpost, out of the game. Illegal checks to the head, out of the game. I'm not going to go so far as to say you take hitting out of the game entirely. Body checking along boundaries is fine. Body checking in open ice is fine. There's a physicality in hockey. You understand that. Defense is defense. Positional awareness is important in this sport. But I hate seeing the same old tropes of, well, keep your head up, or that's just part of it. We need to do a little bit more to protect our players. I don't have the numbers. I would have make the assumption
1: that the situations you are speaking of are down. Oh, definitely. So suspensions have had an effect. Big picture, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm saying this. The enforcement and application of it would change the game dramatically. It would have to, as a player on the ice, I would have to now skate at three-quarter speed compared to my full speed. Because once I get to full speed, all of a sudden, you're not as in control of certain parts of your game. You can't slow down. You can't stop. And that's now okay. Yep.
0: Yeah, that, all that is okay. That's in the context of the game. But
1: I, now, if you, if you if I want to take on the rules you're deciding, get rid of, then you are changing the game dramatically, because now I have to slow down. And I think people don't want the game to slow down. I may be wrong. I think they want it to continue to be played at the pace it is. Because it's played at the pace it is, then you're going to have situations where you have contacts where, okay, say I go and skate at half speed. And the player I'm going to deliver the check to changes the height of his head prior to contact. I will now have time to stop and not make that contact.
0: Are you okay with that?
1: No, because now I'm slowing down the game in half into three quarters of what I can do, so my attacks are not going to be as dangerous. My, my Connor McDavid wouldn't exist. His Players who have the ability to use the skill of skating would not have an advantage other over other players that can't because they're never given that chance to get to top speed. So that's why there will be contacts with the head that i believe will still fall within the rules which may be penalized at the time either a minor a major may be suspended or may not be because of the action of the player that is being hit at the time i think that in order to provide the excitement you have you need it to be played at a fast pace which certainly implies a recklessness an uncontrollable factor but I still think to bring it to where you want to go would affect the other part that I'm talking about. And if I can go to fighting, there's a big difference to me in fighting, and it's how it fits onto what you were talking about. When you fight, I believe you are mutually entering into a physical combat.
0: In this sport, yeah.
1: You are, no, there's sucker punches, yes, and which course. led to the spitting. Right. So... Which I just why wasn't there a suspension? Which I just did on my, yeah, <laughs> that's did on my mic. Have, that's yeah. why you have a spit guard exactly. all over, over your mic. So that that all comes. So in a fight, normally speaking, two guys have realized that for whatever reason, it's necessary to put an end to what the other guy's trying to do or whatever it is. As you said, it, it's it's basically being legislated out of the game, and in five years, it's probably going to be completely gone. But I see. Honor among thieves in that instance, because you are mutually, you're looking at the guy. He's agreeing, he knows the rules, he's he's he knows that you can still fight, and your only penalty will be five minutes, not an ejection or not a suspension. Um, and I know like I Ken Dryden, I believe, feels the same way you do about contacts to the head. Any contact to the head. If you want to enforce it that way, it will dramatically change the speed at which the game will be played.
0: I'll give you one more thing to chew on. It's in a different context, but remember the Matt Calvert injury from a couple weeks ago. We actually were discussing on our last show. Nathan McKinnon brought up an interesting parallel. If you're the NBA, you allow body contact. Would you expose your sport's biggest stars to unnecessary injury as a part of the game? Because it's, just difficult to take out and we would risk slowing down the game as a result
1: if you don't believe speed is necessary to be effective and be better than the next player on the ice against you and your ability to get to higher speed than he does go ahead if you believe it is necessary then i think we are talking
0: well here's the thing though in the modern nhl
1: the, the Austin stars Matthews, of the, game, the, Con- the Connor they McKay- should be at the same chance of injury as anyone else.
0: They're, they're faster than they've ever been. No That's question. The they're faster than they've ever been, and illegal checks to the head are lower than they've ever been. I don't see how these things clash with one
1: another. Put the red line back in as a blue as a two line pass issue. Then you're going to slow down the transition from one end of the ice sure. to the other. You're going to a lot of. A lot of rules in sports, or a lot of laws in society. To me, I think the one of the big priorities should be how enforceable is it. We can make the rule up, but then how enforceable is it? That's why you have supplemental discipline because at real time we cannot expect our officials to see everything that goes on on the ice. Yeah, of course. And you have to go back later and review it. But that's that's I I do believe. I do believe the game is too fast because too I, think, fast. I think it's too fast because I don't think now that enough players can play the game and make plays at the speed it's being played. So I think then your McDavid's are far in the blood, and they should be because they've proven, they've, they've worked on a skill, but it has dumbed down the game to a certain extent because long stretch pass, chip it in, go, press, press, pressure, 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 pressure it's so it's so difficult to handle the puck at the speed that Connor McDavid does that no one does that anymore coaches coach against it because it's become so fast so but i don't having said that i cannot figure out a way to enforce that one way would be put the red line back in as a two man two line pass issue and and again i think you would you would slow things down a little bit because you can no longer make your way up the ice unencumbered by that red line to slow you down a little bit.
0: You know what that sounds like? Sounds like the Gretzky rule. 1985. Coincidental penalties. Offsetting penalties. No loss of manpower. Because the Gretzky-era Oilers were so good at taking advantage of open ice, whenever they would get onto a four-on-four, on four or three-on-three three situation, they used that space to their advantage. When Wayne Gretzky won the Hart Trophy, he organized a press conference to criticize the NHL and the governors for penalizing the players, essentially, who used to benefit from the open ice. And this rule was in place for a good seven years, until the 92-93 season. Let's not go backwards. Let's not go back to this, where just because a, a player or a group of players are so good that The game has to evolve with them. And you've said before, Bobby Orr is just like that, right? He changed the game. Now we're talking about two different things.
1: You're talking about a team being able to score more goals because of the open ice.
0: And what I'm talking
1: about is preventing injury because of the speed of play. I'm talking about player safety. You're talking about scoring more because you have more open Uh, ice.
0: And I think there's a parallel there. Because... Inevitably, our game is but also Our game involves Edmonton can contact.
1: now use a penalty as a positive. They would go out and instigate a penalty to make it a coincidental minor. So then they would get the four-on-four. Four. So now you're encouraging. Team doesn't have to bite. They don't have to. No. No? No. And you could get them shorthanded. You've created a rule which encourages penalties.
0: I don't know about that. The The NHL had those rules before. It was actually they legislated it away to take away the advantage that they had because they were too good. In they, this case. And they didn't have
1: blue lines in the old days or, either. Well, yeah. They didn't
0: have. The, the game evolves, right? But that goes to what I'm trying to explain here about physicality in this game. The it is always re- going to be physical, but it does not have to be violently physical.
1: The re- The... The main reason I would look to slow down the game, and I mentioned because a lot of players can't do that, So, but all it is because of the end-to-end momentum built up and then the force of contact becomes dangerous to health. No doubt. But I, I cannot, I cannot, no. There should not be an automatic penalty for contact with the head. Uh, there, it may come to that, you know.
0: And you're bringing that up, direction. And,
1: yes and you're bringing up with like uh, with kids and no longer playing sports certain sports that's if it goes that way that's fine I'm talking about the elite players that understand the risks of what's going on out there uh, and I think in order to play the game the way it is attractive to people it does involve a speed which will create dangerous situations.
0: The good thing in all of this, checks to the head are down. Serious injuries, most part, are down. Concussions are such a heavily monitored thing in this league. It is, in many respects, safer than it's ever been. We can continue to help that along. That would be my only argument. I want to move on because we had um, we had a lot of news this week around the league. Uh, and, and you were um, mentioning this after Mike Babcock was – let go in Toronto, Jim, uh, story that came out about what a week later between he and Mitch Marner. Uh, if you could kind of de- background and context on that, cause I know you had uh, something on that.
1: Well, it's just, uh, first of all, as explained, and Mike Babcock has mentioned that it did happen. So I don't think it's a, He said, he said issue.
0: This this is the issue of uh, of asking Mitch Marner to basically rank players' effort level from...
1: Mike Babcock, as head coach, had a player in Mitch Marner in his rookie season that he felt needed to learn a lesson about applying and committing all-out. Effort is the term used. Understanding, bringing him to understand that he can give a little bit more. So what Mike Babcock did, he went to Mitch Marner, a rookie player, And he said, Mitch, I want you to rank your teammates based on who are the hardest working and rank them all the way down to who are the least hardest working. In all honesty, when I heard that story, the first thing that came to my mind is this. I would not have done it.
0: You would have stood up to your head coach.
1: That's the first thing that came to my mind. I would have said, Mike, I'm not going to do that. I am the, I would say I'm the least working which he did. Mitch put himself at the bottom of the list. But I would say I'm the least working player, and I'm not in the position at this point to give
0: you the answer you're looking for. It's hard, isn't it, though? It is everybody... hard. Now, I,
1: that's the first thing that came into my yeah. mind. Then you start thinking about, okay, you want to play. You want to make an impression on a coach. Coach's not going anywhere, right? He's about to sign a five-year, $10 million. I mean, he's – so, you, you know, easier said than done. I guess is the best way to describe it. But maybe Mike Babcock would have said, well, you know, that's, that's a player that really respects his teammates. He's not willing to. I don't blame Mitch for doing what he did in any means. So then my second or third thought was, okay, I'm going to really get in that position. And the bottom line here. I believe no one expected that Mike Babcock would go to the players and tell them the results of the list. I've never, ever heard of that before. Something like that before. The worst thing I've heard with coaches is this. A head coach comes to a player and says, you're not playing tonight because another assistant coach tells me you're not doing the job in that area of what that assistant coach. Okay. So you're a penalty killer. And the pellet killing coach came to me and said, You're not in the lineup tonight because you're having, you just, you need to learn how to do this a little bit better. Power play. You're not executing. You need to learn this. You're you're a four checker. you're You're not, you need to learn. So you need to practice first before you get back in the lineup. Then a player goes to the assistant coach and says, What? That's complete BS. I never, ever said that to the head coach. So now you have a head coach who is lying. Or you have an assistant coach that is lying. Now you have a coaching staff that is in shambles. I've heard of that. I've seen it here with the Kings. Not when I was playing, but after. So that creates now, to me now, this is the issue created. And I think Mike Babcock's going to have to deal with this issue too. Who can trust you now as a head coach? Now let's go, if I get... Mike Babcock has admitted to it and said at the time it happened, went immediately after to Mitch Marner and apologized to him. Realized that he was wrong, should not have done it, but it did happen. And it took the firing of Mike Babcock for it to come out. So Mitch was willing to, you know, he was, you know, die on a sword, whatever you want to call it. He wasn't going to bring it up. Then a whole bunch of people started talking, and then it came up and. Because, you know, players get traded, they move around, they're going to talk, they're going to talk about what happened. Um, I remember, it just brings me to stories of motivating. How does a coach motivate? Which Mike Babcock, I assume, was trying to do. He has a young player, he believes if he can affect this player now, he's going to have a superstar. Most people agree he went about it the wrong way, including himself. But just like with Daryl Sutter here, with the Kings, I would chuckle at the time, but it was the 2012 season, if I'm not mistaken, and you no, know, Jonathan Quick was absolutely standing on his head. And other reporters, and you go to different cities, they'd ask about it. and I remember it was in San Jose because Daryl had coached there previously. He was speaking about a player that he coached in another city, in Calgary. But player, oh, Jonathan Quick is playing so good, playing so good, and Daryl would go. Well, he hasn't won forty games yet. And I'm going. That is just going to drive Jonathan nuts.
0: He didn't wind play. up winning forty games, by the way. And he ended <laughs> up winning Stanley Cup. Yeah, <laughs> he and got a little bit better prize. In the
1: back of Daryl's mind, that was the way he Kiprasov. He's the guy I had. We went to the finals with him in Calgary. He's 140. He was trying to find a way to motivate. And a little bit, he's, I guess you feel belittled because Quickie's standing on his head. And that's why the questions are being asked. Everyone's noticing this. And Daryl's kind of playing it down like, well, I'm not noticing it. I had a guy 140 games. So there's different ways to motivate all those types of things. Uh, this one is very unique. And with with the body of work that Mike Babcock has built, he will now have to go through a more rigorous vetting process than he's ever had to before.
0: I don't think it rises to the level of disqualification because head coaches have to figure out different ways to motivate. And especially with younger players – To connect with them and make them understand these are the expectations in the National Hockey League. Babcock's an old school coach. This is, I could totally see this being along the lines of, you know what, I wanted to teach this kid a lesson. And clearly it didn't work uh, in in the way that he intended. Uh, It wound up being bygones, bygones. We didn't hear about it, right? That's You you brought up that point. it comes out now because there's been a weight off that team's shoulders. They clearly had a disagreement with the head coach of the approach and how they wanted the room handled, and now they've got a different voice in the room. But I I could see this maybe not happening in the way that Babcock did it, of listing off to the to the team, but I could – I could see this happening with other coaches, and I would imagine junior level. There's, there's a, there's got to be something along these lines too, right? Or oh, even worse, I think you know, coaches locking teams
1: into locker room after games, not allowing them on the bus, not giving them food. Uh, you know, those little things were... and and the word abuse comes up right now, right? And that's whether it's mental abuse or physical abuse, uh, and and it's a concern. Again, I think you're a professional. Something that would happen at the youth level, at the high school level, the college level, to me is different than what happens at the pro level. You're now earning a living doing that. So there are different standards. I'm not saying one standard is correct or incorrect. I believe what Mike Babcock did was incorrect. Who doesn't? I don't think I've had anyone I hear anyone that's trying to defend it. I think he, he was trying to motivate or at least. Really set a foundation for a kid who is impressionable. Let's make them tough. And it brings me back to Daryl Sutter again. I, you know, I've heard so many players, when you're going through it, it is hell. And then after your career's over and you retire, you go, well, wow, you know what? He made me the best I could be. I wasn't exactly sure how good I could be, I wasn't exactly understanding what was needed to go through that wall. Daryl was able to do that. Uh, You know, I've heard about coaches after a game. I hope you all get in car accidents on the way home. Now, you know, you understand he doesn't believe that, but, you know, what environment is that? You touched on it, Alex. The reason this is going to be less and less is now the players have a voice that they never had. And it's the best voice out there for this type of thing, and that's social media. It's also, we know the good and we know the bad of social media, but it does allow a player now to probably let things be known, a group of players, and uh, you know, they have that opportunity, or maybe they don't want to do it to a writer or a broadcaster, or they don't want to. Do it. They can voice their opinion their own way. They don't have to be asked a question, they can offer
0: it. I'll be fascinated to see, as the next generation of coaches comes along, Sheldon Keefe is part of that, uh, how do tactics evolve in coaching? Because it'll all feed down to the lower levels eventually, too. Every, everybody in in minor hockey and junior hockey, they take after what they see in the NHL. How does that change? And how does the next generation, Generation Z, then in an upward way push coaches to coach in a different way because we've seen i think a pretty big evolution in even in the last 10 years
1: in that regard first thought is not always the best thought when i was playing i would you know start thinking ahead about if i was to be a coach and i would think you know what we hear about it now if you use your best players as the example meaning they get punished also so you take your best player on their team mike keenan there's no question in my mind his tactic going to a new team was this pick a star player and go at him to the point where that player is traded now he has complete control of that room because there's no no one's doubting what's going on so I always had in my mind you know if I was a coach I just go up to a player and go you know what okay I'm going to really rip you today I'm going to really rip you in front of everyone because I want to <laughs> set the tone in here and so you kind of you set it ahead of time you set the circumstances. You plan it. But then I realize, well, that player gets traded or the word gets out. And then he starts saying, well, he mm. said that before. He's just bull. It's, it's, not, it's not true. So you have to maintain something. That, and that's where, you know, these stories are st- – they're going to more and more are going to come out about coaches. No question. But I'm not saying it's correct. All I'm saying is this. Doesn't apply youth hockey. Doesn't apply high school hockey doesn't apply junior hockey, doesn't apply college basketball, college foot doesn't. When you start being compensated in a professional, then
0: the coach's boundaries get a little bit bigger. Because everybody's fair game. Everybody's not just the coach making the money. <laughs> you get all these other room, uh, guys in the room making the money. I, I'm curious to see uh, you know, what... What comes out from this? Because I have a feeling that it's not the last we've wow. heard, especially being that it's the Toronto market. Uh, with a,
1: with an outlet now, I mean, I'm just going to, The Athletic. Now we're going to see in depth articles. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be a, a, a Twitter hit a tweet, it's going to be in depth stories being told because now that uh, format is part of our lives. Uh, I, I think that'll be, it gives everyone chance to tell the story and and that's another thing that we would probably uh take from this too let's i'm glad mike babcock was able to tell his side uh, you know i i am still i'm trying to rack my brain for something i even put in the same category as that and i i can't think of anything i've seen from a coach that way
0: all right so enough about head coaches i want to take some questions here questions questions from the audience I had well, I had one other topic that I want to get to. I think we I think we can wait. Let's, no, let's do, go, let's go just, to it. Come on, let's go. Oh, I, I, So you know what? Ottawa Senators
1: procrastinator. Youth. Ottawa
0: Senators are like one of the hottest teams in the league, and I, I see on social media like fans are just they're starting to like. Why are we winning? We need to get that draft pick. And I'm just I don't know. I, I'm I'm just a little bit uh, upset with seeing that. Like y- you're supposed to be rooting for your team.
1: They are. Why are why are we They are beaten. rooting for their team? They're rooting for their team to one day win the ultimate championship.
0: By losing? You want to root for them to lose?
1: No, they're not losing. They're getting beat by the other team.
0: But that that's losing. No, it isn't. You lose the game. One team wins, one team loses.
1: Yes, but you don't lose on purpose. You get beat. The other team's trying
0: to win. Too. I know you're not losing on purpose, but well, fans well, are happy seeing losses occur. I'd they, be
1: ticked off. Why, I'm not
0: happy being in last place. Why with do the we Kings have a lottery right now.
1: system now in the NBA and the NHL?
0: You're just right. It's it is a lottery. Chicago can go from 13th to third. It is a
1: lottery, and that's why because they felt that teams were losing on purpose. Yeah, and they wanted to limit their chances of gaining
0: the prize of the number one overall. It's team. just. I would be just as happy if it were just a random draw. I'd be just as happy if the Kings mounted a huge run, and if they missed out on the playoffs by a small margin, it would be really, really disappointing. But you know what? It was a great run. I'm not going to think to myself, well, they ruined that whole season because they didn't get the draft pick. Who the heck knows where the lottery is going to go. That's why you play the game, You exactly. play
1: every single game to try to win.
0: Herm Edwards, Arizona State, big upset over Oregon. You play to win the game. Thank you, Herm.
1: There is, and I've said it on the air already. One eye on now, one eye on the future. How you use your personnel. Just talking with Todd McClellan today, I asked him about a penalty kill in a recent game where the Kings used three pairs of defense on the same penalty kill. And I said, is that just the flow of the game? Is that just someone hot? Is that pre-planned? He said, no, part of it is exposing players to that situation, in-game situation, giving them experience. So there is a looking towards the future. Uh, and the fans in Ottawa? I think that, that that opinion is valid. I would never put myself in that situation. I I want to win. Who doesn't want to win? That's the obvious. It's more fun that way. You know what I want to win? What? The Stanley Cup. Yeah. Tomorrow's game. I'd love to win that too. But I want to win
0: the cup. I would also like to beat the Sharks. That was kind of disappointing. Come all the way back, and Marlowe can takes that old rusty knife that he's been hanging around for 20 years and just st- sticks us in one, one more time. It's a little frustrating. Can I get to questions now?
1: Wasn't that a question or was that just an <laughs> observation?
0: <laughs> All right, here's from uh, from Michael Lindberg. Uh, and this actually uh, kind of dovetails what we're talking about. Love to hear, Jim, if you've been on a team where, uh, with the, I guess with the Kings specifically, older players know they're on the end of their careers and younger players will start getting more playing time and how that works in the locker room. That's going to be a tough dynamic, veteran players, younger players, ice time, all that. How does that work?
1: That is a team that is not ready to win a championship, first of all. And it happens all the time. It happened to me probably half the years I was playing. The first year I played with the Kings, we were fourth overall in the regular season. We had a big mix, we had young kids come in. We had some veteran guys, but uh, there wasn't a lot of talk about who's ready to retire. That just wasn't there yet. It, it does end up happening. Uh, I don't think there's that. But again, that's not a team. When you have that circumstance, it is not a team that is ready to win a championship. The saying that I use about 12 specifically with the Kings was no one cared who got the credit. Now, if you're focusing on your retirement or you're focusing on other things,
0: uh, but there there have got to be teams where there was I, a veteran. Well, I, have a, I have a specific example, career, and yeah.
1: this is where, and it, you know, Kings fans don't, Mike Murphy is not a popular name Kings right now because he works for the NHL and there's been some things and discussions. Well, he was also the right. captain of the Kings.
0: He's great. I, I, I he was really the captain of the
1: Kings when I played, and guess who took his ice time? Uh-oh. Me. I was a right winger not a top line right winger. I was a second line right winger. Mike was the same situation. I came in, was taking his ice time. You know what he did to me? He took me on the ice after practice with him to work on things he felt I needed to work on. Pucks around the boards. He would be the guy throwing around the pucks. So that's how he handled it. And to me, I will never forget that. That is something that is so unselfish. He knew he was losing his ice time to me. And he continued to help me. And that's now, that is the best case scenario. I think general managers nowadays, when they put their roster together, have exactly what you're talking about in mind. They have boxes for style of player and role of player. But they also have age of player and contract and where are they and what's their motivation. They have that. They don't want too many here, too many there. They want a mix. And that is something they do think about because it does happen.
0: I thought it was interesting seeing Arizona because we we know that Brad Richardson is there. We know they brought in Carl Soderbergh, like older guys, specifically with the role of being a mentor and being there. They've seen every scenario that can be possibly thrown at them, especially with a guy like Richardson who's won a cup with the Kings. That's got to be a healthy situation too, if done the right way. Not
1: Ready to win yet? Are they? I hope they don't I, be wrong. I think they're close.
0: Stanley Cup. Oh, but a Cup? That's yeah, what I'm talking not. about. They're, they're a playoff team. They're not a cup. Because let's, win let's look yet. back to the 2000. You never know. Gold LA Tats Kings.
1: Period. Who is the veteran player on their way out on that team? On their way out.
0: Mike Richards. Although that was kind Played of two, that two kind years of later on a Stanley yeah, Cup. I, that kind of developed, yeah, it's kind of suddenly. And. Well, there, there were a lot of older guys if on that asked, team, although seem older now. I have I been asked before.
1: I have been asked before who was the most important factor, and I think it was Mike Richards. Okay. I think he was a veteran presence that showed guys on that team what was necessary to win. Uh, I don't think – if you do have those players – they're complete role players. They're not impact guys, but they're there for a reason. I, I, Dean Lombardi and the rebuilding of this team. Scott Thornton is a name that comes to mind. Had him before in San Jose. Who brings him aboard here? He knew the Kings had no chance to win, but he brought him back. Everyone knew Scott was ready to retire or about to retire at near the end of but he was going to be kind of a, a buffer type of player. So I, I just don't believe those types of players are around on teams that are ready to win. Now, uh, Lanny McDonald did it with Calgary and I think he retired the next year. He yep. ended up winning. Yep. He retired. It happens. Um, no question. It happens. It's just, you know, when Ray Bork won, but he was still a big factor. Yeah. I mean, he was on the ice, you know, 20 minutes, 20, play, you know, big factor. And that's he wasn't Lanny wasn't Lanny was playing a, a very supportive role at the time. Yeah, the Bork situation, they were playing for him by yeah. the end. Mm-hmm. But he was still contributing. Right, right. You know, he wasn't. Uh... So it's, it's, yeah, it's there. It's there. It's, it's always there. But again, I think that's, you know it's there. You realize you have to live with it at the moment, but you also realize you're not close to winning if that's part of what's going on.
0: My producer, Jesse Cohen, saying one more. Uh, how is the off-ice train determined? So a goal is scored. Sometimes the guy who scores it leads the receiving line back. Uh, this is a great question by by Chris uh, Carter on Twitter. How is that determined? Like, is there a preconceived order of how who goes first? I like to ask Chris I mean, oh, how
1: difficult it is to receive the ball and keep your feet in balance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, wrong exactly. Chris Carter. Yeah, that, that, that Sorry. Other, Sorry. the other Chris Carter. Hey. I am completely in the dark on this one, other than I've seen it many times. The normal procedure, goal scorer leads. And many times on a play that I watch while broadcasting, and I'm still uncertain who scored it because it's a deflection, you didn't know. The guy who led scored the goal. I will say this. I think it came in as a total team concept issue. Let's make sure everyone celebrates, not just the, you know, but you know what? This brings out my age. It is too choreographed for me. I don't like it. The receiving I line? I don't like the receiving It's oh. too choreographed. It's, you know, the original hugs, you know, are great. And, you know, you've seen it, Alex. You've seen it. You get those facial reactions sometimes of a guy that scores and you can just tell, And it just, you know, pro-Horkin, I guess, this year, would just, you know, you talk about lighting up. I just think then it becomes too rehearsed.
0: We haven't gotten to the point in hockey yet where we've had, like, group sellies. We've 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 seen Ooh. the moonwalks, yeah, we've yeah, seen yeah. the stick yeah. stick getting flipped, we've seen a couple of uh, you know, there's what uh Austin Matthews has his fist pump and Kuznetsov has the bird. It's going to happen. We'll get there. It's going to happen. Uh, yeah, You're bringing I'm, it up. It's going I'm
1: sure it's going to get there. And I just want to mention Jesse Cohen, our producer once again because he did show me a name. Oh. Perhaps back in 12. Simon Gagné. Oh, wow, well, yeah. Who was a veteran player yeah. who had a role, not certainly the role he had before. Um, And again, I I know this is, you know, uh, the respect for Daryl Sutter is, you know, you don't change winning lineups, right? But he did to get Simone in the game. And, uh, you know, so he saw what Simone did earlier in that season to help guys and instruct guys and work with guys. And then when it came time to the, the 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 um, protocol needed to get your name on the cup, etched on the cup. He did not fit. So he needed to play a game in the finals. Excuse me. Final. And
0: trademark. He was inserted
1: and uh, he did that. Um, so it happens, but it's just, it's it's very rare.
0: I think we, this was good. We were bursting at the seams with, uh, with some content here this week. We're going to have to keep this up. Five in. We got to keep it going. More. it's Give like, the fans what
1: they want. It's like um, Todd McClellan said about Sean Walker. He's passed the tests. He's passed the tests. Yeah. But now he's going to be playing with Drew Doughty. If he does, as we're taping right now, there's an injury to Alec Martinez. First of all, Alec. Oof. Uh, get well. I'm not going to say get well soon. Get well at the time you need. Uh, but... Uh, we have to, it's the more you do, you yeah. know, can you take on that? You got to take on more and more and more. And at the same time, you got to maintain your level.
0: Okay. I think this was our longest episode yet. Really? No yeah, way. Yeah, actually it was. Well, yeah. then
1: that shows you what you just said, because to me, it seemed like the shortest one. Wow.
0: Time flies. Well, time flies when you're having fun. I exactly. didn't even get the two questions here, but we always encourage folks. Come on, two hit, questions. What? No, 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 one no. Next time. One, next one time. word answer. Uh, no. One no, word answer. I got it. My, no, my producer go. is telling me to wrap it up, Jim. I'm sorry. We've one run, word We've answer. run out of time, and we one must answer. move forward which, to our next program, which will begin next week or whenever we tape so our next you're program. are producers are more yeah, important than the on-air yeah, talent? Yeah, they're, they're, according to you, they're Whoa, the team captain. They yes, are So that's what they are. We encourage you to hit that subscribe. Subscribe button uh you'll get the episodes directly into your feed uh log on to lakings.com for more great audio content the all the kings men podcast our producer jesse cohen jim get down from that chair that's unsafe my captain my captain oh, boy we'll see you next time <laughs> bye everybody Terrible.